Our scripture reading for today will be 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 to 15, and our lector for today will be Celine. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with the toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an, an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. It's good to see everyone. Let's pray. Father Almighty, only wise God, you are the one, Lord, who knows all of our days, and you're the one who's able to guide us in how best to work to bring about the, the, the work of your kingdom. We ask, Lord, that as we discuss uh, the meaningfulness of work and, and what place it has in our lives, we ask that you would uh, help bring illumination into each of our individual circumstances we obviously can't sit with each individual person and talk through all of the, the specifics of what they do. So, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come to each person here listening and do exactly that. That we would know, Lord, not just the, uh, the principles in a vacuum, but how they play out in our specifics. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, enlighten our minds today and that we would be able to comprehend the full weight of the words which you have spoken. We thank you, Father, for all that you are doing and all the ways in which you are guiding us. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was deciding how to go into a career, I have to confess that I did not know what, uh, I did not know about what God is doing in the world uh, quite the same way that I did now. As some, I, when I was growing up, uh, I sort of grew up in church uh, a little bit. I came to know the Lord from the time I was seven years old. And in the process of being in church, I always knew that I wanted to do ministry. Ministry was like right at the heart of my life. I was a little kid, and I was a little kid going with my mom to all the Bible studies, and I would like listen and I would participate easier for me than it is for some of you that have grown up in church, because th those Bible studies were in English. Um, but it was, through all of it, I always knew I wanted to do ministry. And if you always say, if you ask questions like, what would you, if you could go back in time and time travel, what would you tell to 10-year-old yourself? Questions like that. I think that one of the things I would have said back to 10-year-old me would have been something like, if you want to do ministry, David, learning minister stuff is important, but learn a profession too. I really would have said that. 
I would have said learn to be a plumber or a dentist or a, a genetic researcher or do something where you, have, uh, where you have more of an ability, if you need to have it, to have a platform. Because back then, I, I understood that serving, that serving God was something that pastors did, something that uh, evangelists did, something that missionaries did. But what I didn't understand back when I was 10 is that in many of the, the, the hottest and most interesting places where God is working in the world, pastors can't go. They can't. If you said, hey, Pastor, if, if, if God said to me, David, go and move to Saudi Arabia, my first question would have to be, well, how? Right? If they say, well, what do you do for a living? I once got a shorter visa visiting my, visiting my wife's relatives in China because they asked, what do you do for a living? And I had to write, pastor. And they said, oh, well, then we can't let you in the country for too long then. You want that long a visa? We'll give you this long a visa. Because they're like, we're not comfortable with uh, you guys. Because, of course, China's hostile to the gospel. So as we think about work, there are, there are different ways we can think about it. We can think about work as a way to buy all the stuff that we really want. We can think about work as a way to fill in the time so we don't get bored. We can think about work as a way of meeting people and making friends, only if you're like, absolutely like bottom of the barrel socially, I suppose. But, but work, hey, there are other people. There are lots of different ways we can think about work. But today, I'd encourage us to think about work in two particular, through two particular lenses, two ways of viewing it, two that don't necessarily always go together. And that's thinking about work as vocation and work as platform. Work as vocation and work as platform. Now, vocation is one of those words that used to get used a lot, and nowadays just doesn't get used a lot. So I, I have to worry about the fact that people might not know what it means. Can anyone give us a little definition for the word vocation? Can't be Jesse. Jeff. Your day job. Uh, I would argue that vocation is literally not that. That's more of, that's more, you're getting more to platform when you call it your day job. That's, that's the other one. Platform is when you say, this is my day job. The way that, uh, the way that newspaper reporter is Superman's day job. It's his platform, right? Because being a superhero doesn't, doesn't pay the electric bill. Vocation? Anybody? A career. Getting, getting closer. Vocation really has to do with calling. When people use words, when people say things like, this is what I was meant to do, that's the language of vocation. Vocation is when you say, you know, hey, why, are you, why did you decide to become a zookeeper? Like, who does that? You're like, I decided to do that because I am a zookeeper. I was a zookeeper from the time I was four years old, so I figured I might as well get paid to do it, right? Meanwhile, you go to the person's house, and they have like a, they have like a skunk and two raccoons and a frog living in their basement. You know, that's vocation. Vocation is when you're saying, I do this because this is who I am. This is what I do. This is the main quest of my life. That is vocation. When they ask you as a child, what do you want to do when you grow up? 
Kids will give you the wildest, most starry-eyed answers, won't, won't they? They'll say, I want to be an astronaut. Nobody, sa nobody says, I want to grow up to crunch data behind the desk. And yet, this is, this, is and this is part of the disillusionment we'll start to face when we get out into the working world, right? And it's especially true if you go into a job that you think is your calling, you think is your vocation, and then you end up being disillusioned. One of, the, one of the experiences I had early on in, in Blueprint that really changed my perspective of the world was starting to actually hear things from people who worked in the medical industry. Who used to, the classic, I want to do this because I want to help people. And then you hear about how the, 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 the hospital is, in, is committing insurance fraud and things like that. And you go, <gasps> right? Like, and you, your heart starts thumping and you start saying, is there anything I can do in the world where I'm sure I'll be doing good? This, and when we enter the working world, if we go into it firmly believing the proverb, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life, then for most jobs, you will find yourselves in for a rude awakening. Because every job, however much of a vocation it is, there will be some days you'll wake up and you'll say, I wish I was doing anything other than this. If you have a manual labor job, you'll hate it because you'll say, oh, this is so hard. If you have a not manual labor job, you will find yourself saying, oh, I wish I had a manual labor job where at least I didn't have to bring my work home and I could afford to think while I'm working. So the, no matter what you do, there are going to be some days it will be unusually hard for you. And, and while there is great joy in being able to say, Yes, do what you love and enjoy it. It's worth it to know that we can still work for the kingdom, in some ways work better for the kingdom, if work is not a vocation for us. When you say, you know what, I have a job that maybe doesn't click with everything I have inside of me. If I don't feel completely fulfilled filling out paperwork, my job still has a purpose and still has eternal merit to it. And this is why... It's useful for us to understand what it means to have work, not just as vocation, but also as platform. Now, when we say platform, what are we talking about? Well, we might think about it a little bit like a, well, platform. If you stand on a platform over a swimming pool and you bounce on it a bunch of times, you'll, you'll eventually bounce high enough that you can do cool diving moves into the water. We call that a diving board. Right? And that platform gives you room, it gives you mobility, it gives you capacity to do things you just wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And this is one of the things we can look for when we discuss what is my job doing for me? What can I, how can I wring the most out of it? How do I find eternal value? We would ask, what are the elements of this that are platforms into God's eternal purposes? And if you are in the pre-career stage of your life, this is, this is a question you might really have to ask. You ask not only how much does this job agree with my personality, but also what are the things that this job will allow me to do that will be significant forever? What are the aspects of this job that will tie directly into God's kingdom? Because remember, like in, in some ways, if I could, if I could go back to talk to 10-year-old me, I would say, you know what, ministry is great. But if you think about ministry as being on the front lines of the kingdom, you're wrong. 
Pastors are not frontline soldiers of the kingdom. We're really the drill sergeants of the kingdom. We're the folks who train the people who are the front, the front line soldiers of the kingdom. We, who are the people who are on the front lines? It's the, folks, it's the folks who are out and actually in the most contact with the enemy. The folks who are in the, not that unbelievers are the enemy because they are not, but we are, but every day there is a war going on for the unbelievers around us between what the Lord is saying and what the enemy is saying, what the devil is saying. And you guys are the folks, all of you professionals are the folks who, who are in it, who are in the mix, and who are struggling with this the most. So if you ask, well, what is it about our job that allows us to platform? What is it about it that, is, that are the ways that God can use that? And we have three Bible passages highlighted today that show us the value of work. Now, one of the things you're going to notice when we talk about the value of work is that all of my passages today come from Paul. Paul, important dude, wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament. But what made Paul really interesting relative to most of the other people of the Bible is that Paul is one of the guys who's the most like us. He's an educated guy. Most people in the Bible are not educated, okay? Paul is very educated. Paul is an urban guy. Paul had no idea. Paul probably had about as much understanding of planting fig trees as you and I do, okay? Probably less than, than some of us who are gardeners. But it's because Paul was an urban dude right down to his bones. He spent his days learning Greek philosophy and Jewish tradition and Roman law and all sorts of things like that. He, Paul was a, a college graduate, and he was an urban guy. He liked to be in cities. The book of Acts is a story of Paul traveling around from one city to another city. He didn't have no time for country bumpkins. Okay? And that means he's also pretty close to us, which is, I would argue, part of why us urban people tend to like reading the words of Paul, and they relate to us more so sometimes in the words of Jesus, which tend to be a little bit more agricultural. But Paul had the interesting characteristic that he too was a professional. In fact, we know that Paul was, one of the ways that we might be reminded that Paul was a professional, that when we talk about people who do ministry and who also do work, like Jesse, we call it tent making, which is an awfully funky way to talk about it until you realize that the, the reason we do it is because Paul was a tent maker. It's literally what he did. And when we talk about platform, it's useful for us to talk about Paul. Because let's be honest, guys. Did, have you ever read any Bible verse where Paul talks about how much he loves making tents? When does Paul, like, ever talk about tents? The only time I can think of where Paul even uses the word tent, like, in a sentence, is when he's talking about, like, death and resurrection. When he says, like, if this tent of our body is destroyed, then we know that we have, like, a better home, the coming resurrected body. And even then, he's thinking about it like as a negative, right? Like, this, is a, this body is a tent. My future body will be a house. So, it's, so you're like, Paul, like, if you don't like building tents, like, why do you do it? Is a very fair question, right? And especially so because Paul didn't have to do it. He acknowledges that some of the other apostles were indeed, um, 
you know, they were being paid by the church. They were taking up offerings, and they were, that's how they lived. Paul didn't have to work for a living with his hands. So why did he choose to do it? What was it about this that, that he saw value in? Why spend his mornings, and this is a, you, you ask, well, how did he have time to do a full-time job and full-time ministry? A big part of that was that back in those days, back in Roman times, people worked in the morning when it was cool. You would get up like right before dawn and you would start like doing stuff, whether that was planting your fields or whether that was like getting your, your work together if you were an urban craftsman. And by noon, when things got really hot, it gets really hot in the afternoon around the Mediterranean, people would be like, all right, that's enough for one day. And people would go to the market and they might buy things. People would go and they would talk to each other. Uh, that was when all the relational stuff happened. And that was when uh, Paul was doing ministry. In the afternoon, sometimes into the evening. In one famous story, all the way through the night. But he was probably working in the morning and doing the rest of his stuff in the afternoon and evening. Would you say, Paul, why do you do it? When Paul describes it, he talks about the various virtues of work. What are, the, what are the aspects of work that provide us a platform? Well, in, today's, in the first passage that we read, in 2 Thessalonians 3, let's go over it again. And so in, in saying this, he's, he's giving us this passage because there were some people that were like, well, if Jesus is returning tomorrow, what's the point of working? I should just be like wearing white robes and standing on a mountaintop, right? And Paul's like, Yo, bro, you dumb. He's saying, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. By the way, that's kind of a, it's kind of a powerful verse because that, that has significant consequences. Paul is saying, if you, if you find yourself as an adult, maybe even before you're an adult, as a gamer bro, and you spend all of your time in the basement, and you are like top, top 10 global in whatever the latest game is, I'm, I'm too out of touch to, to remember what that is. But if you, are, if you are serious enough that you're like, my dream is to one day join a world pro tour or whatever, like Paul would say, you're, you're wasting your life, buddy. And he would say that we as other Christians ought to discourage people from walking that path. He would say, he said, there is real value in work, in meaningful work, in honorable work. So if you're idle and you're just like, nah, I'm just coasting, then there is, that, that he said, we ought, to be, we ought to rebuke that person and say, yo, idleness is not good. He said, we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And if you, and if you look through all of the, the phrase, all of the passages that Paul talks about work, you'll see this is his running theme over and over again. He'll say, we didn't want to be a burden to anyone. We wanted to make sure that we were able to carry our own weight, that we were self-sufficient, that we didn't need to depend on uh, begging you guys for money all the time. And that, for Paul, was a big deal. They, they had a certain amount of this uh, digni basic dignity that came from saying, I can support myself. They didn't want, he didn't, there was a um, certain 
even though they had community, even more so than the community that we had today, they felt like if they were dragging on the community, then they were, then, then they were being a moral problem. Instead of saying, hey, you know, let me like, crutch on my parents, they would say, man, how can I support my parents in any way possible? That was the way that they were um, thinking about economics. They were saying, I want to be someone who adds to the community and not someone who subtracts. Instead of, if I, if I see that my friend has a job in a cafe, instead of coming in and trying to mooch free drinks, I want to I wanna actually buy from that cafe to, to, so that, my, uh, so that my, my friend's boss will know that I'm attracting clientele instead of uh, costing them money. That, was, that is the way that these folks were thinking about money. They were saying, I want to add to the community and not subtract from it. It was not because we did not have that right, in other words, to get support from the church, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And then he, and then he goes and says, if you guys have to deal with anyone, like seriously, go ahead and deal with them because this is important stuff. One of the reasons we, one of the reasons that we uh, recommend work as being an actual good in the Christian life is simply and really because it keeps us busy. It gives us something to do and where we can support ourselves, but also keeps us out of other people's problems. These folks who weren't uh, working in, in, the, in the beginning of the day, what were they doing? They, they, weren't, ju they weren't just sitting around and uh, thinking about how to improve the world. No, they were going around and talking to folks. They were trying to catch up on the latest gossip. They were, basically, they would, they would plant themselves in other people's problems. And indeed, what is it that encourages people into idleness in 2023? What are the, what are the number one sources of laziness in today's world? Did anyone ever become lazy doing righteous, noble things? No, we get pulled aside into the worlds of gaming and binge-watching and um, uh, even, dare I say in my nerdiness, reading. And these are things that can, these are things that can, uh, some of them are good in moderation, but when, but when we start taking it too far, we lose touch with uh, what God is doing in the world, and we lose touch with, we become, not only do we not, are we not working and becoming an economic drag on the community, but in many ways we also become a relational drag on the community. If you're not busy, you'll you will find yourself becoming a busybody, is what Paul is saying. There is, so there is a value to work in that it disciplines us, it trains us, it restrains us. Just the sheer fact of having to get up and do things that you, things that you don't necessarily want to do is good for our entire lives. It's easier to get my kids up for church now that they have the experience of having to wake up at 7 o'clock for school. It's easier for me to wake up at 7 o'clock now that I have to, for heaven at 7, now that I have to wake up at 7 o'clock every day anyway. Amen? Having these disciplines in our life are not fun, 
but they are healthy. And this is part of what work as platform means. It means that even in the sheer discipline of having to be there at work and doing work, we learn something that we wouldn't be able to learn if we were being idle. It allows us to become respectable people and to gain respect. So, and this is a big one also, because there is, a, there is also a pressure in our uh, world today that, that people are saying, create passive income. And passive income, whether you think it's good financial sense or not, I can tell you right now it's bad moral sense. Because no amount of Bitcoin is going to teach you discipline. And, no, and however good your investments are, it won't, it won't uh, beat the experience of, of having to deal with coworkers and colleagues, having to deal with unbelievers with different worldviews and mindsets, having to go through the, through the push of saying, you know what? I'm going to be here when I don't want to be here, and, and the, the shaping effect that will have on your heart and your character. So there are reasons why Paul says, work, and, and if you can do it, work with your hands. Paul says this because he believes it's good for our souls. There are, however, other reasons why Paul wants us to work. So if we can flip together to uh, Ephesians 4.28. And this is in the middle of, of talking to the Ephesians about how to, work, how to walk together as a loving community, how it is that they can, they can show each other love in practical ways. He says, Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So what is it that, so what is it that Paul recommends work for? Well, part of it is, he says, it's a lot easier to, to learn generosity if you're not suffering lack yourself. And this is a big one. Because if you've gone through some of the life cycle in our church, you know that we are big believers in older folks mentoring younger folks. And if you've been on the business end of that, on either side of it, then you understand the bubble tea dynamic you understand that someone is buying drinks and someone is having drinks bought for them, that there is sort of a, a patron and, and client relationship there. And, if, and one of the dangers that we might go through in our spiritual life is that we want to hang out as the client, as the mentee forever. We might say, hey, yo, can I get a ride? Yo, can I get a ride? Yo, let, let's, let's, uh, let's eat out together, your treat. And there, there is a... There is a way that we can kind of delay, nobody can delay physical adulthood, but you can totally delay emotional and mental and spiritual adulthood. They can get to the point where you say, man, I really want someone to mentor me, but you would never consider yourself becoming a mentor. And part of what, and part of what would keep us there is just saying, man, it's expensive being a mentor. And you know what? It can be expensive being a mentor. It, there, there's a lot of it where you're saying, hey, uh, ha having people over my house, let me, let me count food costs. Hey, going out is even more expensive than having someone over my house. And, and as you start going through these things and, and counting for rides and you start ticking it off, you realize you can be a lot more generous if you're also working. And this is part of what, platform, part of what work as platform is all about. It's about saying, can I work and have money and then what will I do with that money that will, that will be into the kingdom? 
But I also have to add a caveat here. And that's, for some people, work is all about money. And they're not thinking about money from, for eternal purposes. They might tell you they are as a way of justifying their workaholic lives. But, in, but, they are, but everything about them is saying, well, if I, uh, if I earn more, I can tithe more. But what they're really thinking about isn't tithing. What they're thinking about is how they can spend the other 90% on the, the pleasure and enjoyment of their lives. And, the, and at that point, we, we run the risk of forgetting what it's all about. We say, not only am I, am I going to make enough money to be generous, we also have to consider, will I have enough time to be generous? Will I have enough thought space to be generous? Will I even, will I even be able to think about the kingdom after all the, after all the strain of working my tail off to make as much money as I possibly can? And these are factors we have to consider when we ask, is my job a good job or is my job a bad job? We say, how, to what extent is it platforming me? How am I learning skills that I'll be able to use to reach others? How am I gaining, how is the money that I'm making able to help me to be able to support others? Am I, am I thinking enough about missions considering uh, what I'm doing? And if we were to take this to the really extreme extreme, then we can say, does my job allow God to use me in the most generous possible ways? For instance, if someone were to ask me, hey, Pastor David, is it honorable to be a lawyer? I would say, well, let's, let's think about this. Are there dishonorable ways to be a lawyer? Yes. Are you, being, are you, are you an honest lawyer? Are you a lawyer whose, whose job is to take money from people who should have money and give it to people who don't need any more? If so, that's being a bad lawyer. But if, you're, if there are people being taken, who the system is taking advantage of, and you're like, hey, let's make sure that everything is running fairly, then that's the best possible kind of lawyer, isn't it? In other words, when we start thinking about work, it's, it's easy to say, to just do the simple calculus and say, what will give me the most enjoyment? What will make me the most money? What will, what will give me the, a little bit of breathing room in doing it? Let's do that. But there are also ways in which we can say, what if I can make less money, but also have my platform be transformed into vocation? What if there are ways of doing this where I actually could be moving forward the kingdom of God? through the process. And this is a big, and this is a big deal. Uh, I, I mentioned before, like, how would it be useful to be, let's say, a dentist into eternity? You go, well, I mean, people won't have teeth into eternity, will they? And I'd be like, no, but you're missing the point. The, not these teeth, which is, which is good for those of us who have, like, mouths full of metal. But, the, um, but what that does mean is, if the Lord said, David, sell all you have and move to Saudi Arabia. As things are now, I'd be like, what the heck? But if, if I knew that the Lord had called me and I had a degree in licensing and, dent, and licensure and dentistry, then I, could, then I would say, oh, hey, I, maybe I could actually do that. Because you know what? They don't really allow non-Muslims into Saudi Arabia, but you know what? They might really need someone to look at their teeth. And now I have a platform where I can realistically go, and they say... Why do you want to come here? And I don't say, to share the gospel, please don't stone me. But I would say, hey, I heard you guys have teeth that need help. Can I come? 
And it might be a two-step process. I might say, hey, let me get into Yemen because it's really hard to get into Saudi Arabia and maybe one day work my way into Saudi Arabia. There might be process there. But, but if you, you want to do it, you can totally do it. I, keep using, I like using dentist for this because this is how this has actually historically worked. The first dude who got off his butt and said, I'm going to share the gospel with these Muslims was a dude by the name of, he wasn't the first, but he was the first important one, was a dude by the name of Samuel Zwemer, and he was literally a dentist. So when we say, think about how your skills open up opportunities to share the gospel, this is kind of a big one. We may not think about it and say, well, hmm, how, how could this be useful to me in the long term? And you might say, well, you might even have heard people talk about missions and say, dude, but I'm not a missionary. I'm like an engineer. And, and you don't real, and it's easy to forget that sometimes the, the engineer can get into places where the professional pastor would never, have, would never have a prayer of getting in. And this is a big deal. This is what, this is what platform is all about. But, but platform is not just for missions, but also for missions, you know, with uh, overseas missions. But platform is also about being here. I can, as, a, as the parent of a now school-aged child, I have an opportunity to make some kind of an impact on my, on, on my kid's school. But I will never have the same impact as a teacher would in that same school, or as a guidance counselor or a social worker would have in that school. Um, most weeks, I don't, I, I, don't, I, never, I don't address specific people from the stage, okay? So if you're like, was Pastor David thinking about me when he said that? No, probably not. But this week, maybe so. Because I know for sure there are people who work in certain industries, whether those are medical or whether that's educational, where, where, where you've gotten in and you've said, ah, oh, like, when I got into this field, I thought I'd really be helping people, and it is so hard, and it is so stressful, and there are so many days where I say, man, why am I doing this? And I would want to do something else. And in those times, and all of those things are true, it's also worth it to say, but Lord, what would you have me do here? If this place is a, if, if my school is a, worst case scenario, absolute hellscape of a location, and there are, you know, the, the teachers are cranky, and the principal is cranky, and the kids are all cranky, but you might say, how can I be the one force for love here? How can I show people what Jesus is really like? If, my, if so many of my kids are uh, dadless, how can I be, maybe not a full dad, because that's unrealistic, but how can I be like glimmers of a dad that might help some of these people who have no hope in their lives to gain hope? that there is a way out, and that their lives can be better. There is, in other words, oftentimes our job thinking can be very selfish, and the Lord is calling us to, to think about our jobs as, in terms of how they can influence people for forever. So, in, in kind of wrapping this up, one of the things that we have sort of lost sight about a little bit is something called the Protestant work ethic. Any of you guys ever heard of that? Anybody? Do any of you guys actually know what that word like means? Because I feel like it's something that we've all kind of, sort of heard about, but no one's really talked about it. And being, well, Protestants, maybe we ought to know what that, what, what that phrase actually means. And it goes something like this. Back in the old days of the church, 
and by the old days of the church, I mean like 325, Christianity had just become legal, and as soon as it became what the cool kids were doing, as soon as Christianity started to go viral, everyone started joining. And if you've ever done a, if you've ever had an activity that went viral, you know that like at first it's all the hardcore like fans, and then as it starts flooding with everybody else, it like dilutes the purity of discussion. You're like, who are all of these people who think they're Lord of the Rings fans that have never read the books? You know what I mean? Like this is the, and this is what started happening to Christianity. There were all these people who started flooding into church because the emperor said it was cool. And they knew nothing about what it meant to be Christians. They couldn't tell you the Ten Commandments. And they certainly weren't interested in obeying the Ten Commandments. So there was a guy, his name was Anthony. He said, you know what? The, this, the church is becoming way too worldly. I'm going to set the opposite example. And he moved out into the desert, like literally the desert. And he lived in a cave, yes, literally a cave. And he became the world's first monk. And because he said, I'm not living for the world, I'm separating myself, people said, yo, that's super cool. And they, like, and they formed this like, Christian counterculture where they started saying, let's give away our possessions and live a life for other people. And that was great. But after time went on, they stopped being edgy and they became, you know, they, they also went viral and they became cool. And eventually the government started paying for them. So now you had these these fat people who are supposed to have thrown away worldly possessions, right? Which was kind of obvious hypocrisy. And it, it be, almost became meaningless. People said, we're paying for these people to be theoretically poor, but not really. And into all this came the reformers, Calvin and Luther and Zwingli, those guys. And they said, I kind of see the original point, but we've missed the point. Because ultimately... They said, God isn't just interested in talking to us in a cave when we're wearing, like, goatskin clothing. But God also has purpose for us. He has kingdom uses for us as people who are building tents, as people who are making shoes, as people who are doing all of the various things that urban workers were doing. And in that Protestant work ethic, in that working hard, in that doing things with your hands, we can encounter God in the world just as much as we could as if we were living in the cave with literally nothing. And just like those folks had to do that to show people that you could be like, live in this world and still be holy, so we, living in our workplace, doing good deeds, are living in this world but being holy. And just like those early guys, like Anthony, we can, we can live righteous lives in the world and people will notice. And they'll find us and they'll say, why does it seem like you're the only one in this office that's not grumpy all the time when our, if our job is this bad? And we'll have room to talk. So let's keep our eyes on, um, let's keep our eyes on what God is doing in our jobs. Let's think about what are the opportunities that God has given me to, to share and to, to share my resources, to share my time? What are the ways in which my job, even if it's not perfect, can still allow us to uh, perform kingdom functions? See, Paul might not have liked being a tent maker all that much, not enough to talk about it when he didn't have to. But you know what, you know what Paul could do being a tent maker? 
And I'm sure he didn't plan it this way. I'm sure this was just like God planning things out for his life. But wherever there were Roman soldiers, people needed to have tents. Wherever there were markets, people needed to have tents. And so wherever there were markets and wherever there were Roman soldiers, that's where Paul could go and he could make tents. You don't see him going outside cities where people don't need tents, but whatever there's a city, there he is. So maybe you don't love your job, and you know what? That's okay. Let's look for the ways in which God has brought us there on purpose, and let's see the ways in which that platform will let us go higher and stronger and better than we ever could have gone before. One of the great ironies of Jesus' life is that the carpenter from Nazareth died on a work of carpentry. He had, he found himself nailed with nails, much like he himself must have hammered thousands and tens of thousands of times before. And he found himself nailed on wooden beams, the likes of which he must have hammered thousands and tens of thousands of times before. And Jesus, through that last act of leaving his carpenter's life and becoming a work of carpentry himself, he achieved for us eternal salvation. The, 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 the great um, dream of Jesus' life was to fulfill the work of his father. And in, and in that platform, in the, pl- in the platform of um, Jesus was able to reach the cross because of the years that he spent uh, plying a trade. He was able to, to do that and to learn, to do that and to grow, and to eventually reach the point where he could um, go and travel and fulfill God's purpose for his life. So as we remember the example of Jesus, let's look to him and let's not despise the, the, the simple work of what we are doing Monday to Friday. Let's not look at it and say, ugh, I can't wait for this to be over till I could do the, the, you know, the real purpose of my life. But let's choose to see how the Lord has used what he has given us to prepare us for, uh, for the, the purposes which he intends us for. And as we eat this bread, let's remember that Jesus' body, like this bread, was broken for us. That, that, his, uh, that his sweat poured down for our sake and that he received the curse so that we might receive a blessing. As we drink this cup, the blood of Jesus, let's remember that whatever we suffer on our job is unworthy to compare to the suffering that he experienced in carrying the weight of the sins of the world upon himself. And Jesus, the worker, Jesus, who has suffered, has now been elevated to the highest place, seated at the right hand of God. And as we eat the bread, and as we drink the cup, let us remember that our own sweat and our own blood will not be wasted, but that the changes that the Lord is shaping in us and the work that he will do through us 
will be significant well into eternity. Let's come and let's receive together from the table of the Lord. As we enter into the time where we sing together, let's take this opportunity as we sing to to think this through carefully. So often in our jobs, we can feel overwhelmed and stressed and like, I need to get things done. And it can be so easy for us to miss uh, all of the ways in which God has put us in a platform. So as we, uh, as we sing this song together, let's take this opportunity to really think through, um, like, Lord, I need your vision. I need your wisdom. How is it that you would, that you would use me in my Monday to Friday? How is it? And let's, let's not allow ourselves to become um, so lost in the busyness of it that we would lose sight of having God's perspective on our work. So let's sing together, keeping in mind this, uh, this view of wanting to be guided by God on our jobs. So Father, we ask that this week <clears throat> that you would bless us and make us a blessing. That this week our jobs would be to us not mere busyness, but steps in your preparation of our lives for forever. That we would be able to see our to be able to see our lives from the vantage points of our jobs. And that Lord, we would not just be those who have opportunities, but those who take them. That we would not just be be jumping up on the jump on the diving board forever, but that you would show us in what ways you would want for us to dive. Lord, awaken us this week to the possibilities. And would you help us, Lord, to dream big well. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are speaking to each heart. We ask, Lord, that this week, in little signs and little reminders, you would show each of us what's possible in our specific circumstances. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and give you grace. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In all that we do this week, let's do it as unto him, our King. Amen. Let's love one another, have lunch together, and I'll see you soon.